Welcome to the Four Corners Podcast with Lenny Marcus. Joining me today, as always, is my co-host, Neil Potter. you got to put some gravy on that. <laughs> we do four <laughs> topics, 15 minutes each. We're just killing time. Kill it with us. Our Gmail, Facebook, Instagram is the number 4C Podcast. Subscribe on iTunes. Listen to us on the Laugh Button Network, thelaughbutton.com. Today's guest is originally from Paramus, New Jersey. He has a law degree, and of course, he gave it up to be a page in the NBC Page program from their stand-up comedy, and from there, a crazy political turn. He is the founder of the New York Arab Comedy Festival. This highly acclaimed, first-of-its-kind festival has received national and international media coverage. He produced a show on Comedy Central called The Watch List. He co-directed and co-produced a award-winning documentary with Nagim Farsad entitled The Muslims Are Coming. He's the co-creator of Stand Up For Peace, where he performs across the country with Jewish-American comedian Scott Blakeman. He's been featured on programs all across your dial. The View, Rock Center, Up With Chris Hayes, Unleashed, Byron Allen. I mean, across the board stuff. And and he has a radio show. Is this nightly on Sirius Channel wow. 127, wow. 6 to 9 p.m. called Death to the Jews? I'm kidding. <laughs> it's called the Dean Ovidala Show. It's Dean Ovidala. Woo, Damn. Damn, that's Thank impressive. You. That was just a working title for a while. We had. <laughs> <laughs> so great. We go right there. We go right that's there. A remarkable intro. Just my life. I listening to it. I peaked like seven years ago. Uh, Since then, I really. I think I peaked like in. I think <laughs> I'm going to have to respectfully disagree. I mean, this has been quite the career. Um, first of all, let's start with you. You grew up in uh, New Jersey and right. your dad's Palestinian and your mom is from Italy. And then Sicily. how do they meet Sicily? Yeah. How do they meet? They met at a, at a party in New Jersey where everyone meets. I mean, they met at a party in Jersey and, my dad is an immigrant, and my mom was actually born here, but her first language was Italian. Her parents were obviously all immigrants. So they just met, and they hit it off. And I, I don't really know. That's the story they tell us, because it became like later we heard like they met at a bowling alley. So <laughs> where they really met, it's kind of sketchy, but I'm pretty sure it was a party in Jersey. And my mom liked my dad because he had an accent, and her dad had an accent, and you know, it's about family, Arabic, about family and food. So it lined up pretty well with the Italians. And that's really how they, that was a very nice sort of how they met. In fact, today is my dad, my late dad's birthday, December 10th. Oh, wow. wow. That's Happy funny. Birthday. My dad's was two days ago. Um, so they, you, you grew up in New Jersey and was there any, they weren't performers at all, were they? No, no, my dad was very funny. My dad was intentionally funny. My mom, unintentionally funny. My dad, um, not at all. I mean, he didn't even have a high school, maybe had a high school education at best. He grew up in, he was born in what is the West Bank now, in Batir, a little time, town outside of Bethlehem. Mm-hmm. And my mom, you know, went to like City College in New York for a couple of years. So there, they just struggled to make ends meet. My dad worked three jobs when I was a kid, a cook primarily, teaching cooking. Then at night, he had no high school degree. He got, he passed the stockbroker test at the time. I don't know what series it was then to try to do night cold calls and that for a while. That worked out okay a little bit for him. Like a but boiler room? Cook. Like, exactly. My dad was the inspiration of boiler room. The <laughs> 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 Vin Diesel character was my father. Oh, <laughs> shit. He was shuffling <laughs> penny stocks. <laughs> so it was a lot of penny stocks, a lot of stuff at a fledgling storefront <laughs> in the strip mall my dad's been selling stuff oh, shit. but it didn't work out we didn't make much money so that what? so my dad's a blue collar worker and i got my work ethic from my dad well, so much so yeah but was your dad's whole family here from there i mean was it all your no my dad was the first one and oh, he was the first the one okay. family to land on american soil ah, little okay. by little he brought over his his brothers and then others all to north jersey which, you know, moving from the West Bank to Jersey is lateral. And, <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, he made, 
his life was sort of the American dream. He came here in his 20s for a better life because he faced limited opportunities in the West Bank. And then he was actually living in Jordan at the time. And he worked at the U.S. Embassy in Jordan as a cook and got to know American diplomats who one of them lived in North Jersey. And he said, I want to go to Jersey, America. And that's how he got sponsors to come here, which is and then he brought his family here, which really Trump has called this chain migration thing, which is really the story of my family and so many other families. Yeah. It's, you come here and then you bring your family here. Yeah. yeah so, it's uh, not it's chain a, migration. It's, it's a, the did. American dream. It's what. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so they put you through law school or you put you through law school? No, they did. Everything was. Well, look, it was a, a concerted effort. It wasn't like me. No, but I'm saying like, like they, they no, really worked from the bottom up coming to the country, put their kids, you know, gave their kids the better life. You go to law school, and here's my thing. You know, then you're like, okay, I'm gonna leave that and be an NBC page. After yeah. all that, that must have been. You want to describe that uh, discussion, or they were cool that, with it? That, that's what killed my father. Sad, but it was it was challenging. The I was in I was a practicing law for about four or five years. I was miserable. I didn't enjoy it at all. I wanted to go to law school. It was my choice. I was always active in politics when I was younger, and almost all the elected officials I knew who had moved up the ladder were lawyers. But I was also interested in the law. I, it controlled so much of our lives. So I, they didn't push me to go to law school. I wanted to go to law school. Mm. You know, they supported me. I took out student loans for college. I went to Fordham undergrad at Fordham Law. But they're so and proud of this. I mean, they're so proud of you being a lawyer. They, they were. And my sister has a PhD. She went to Duke. <laughs> she went to Penn State and got a PhD. And... So they were, yeah, they were happy to say their kids were a doctor and a lawyer. And my sister doesn't use her PhD anymore either too much. Wait, what but does she do? Was, what did, I don't get she it. She does more. Well, she's a stripper she now, Lenny. Yoga, <laughs> right? Yeah. She's a, she teaches yoga <laughs> and, and moms. But, oh, she does? Yeah, she does. Oh. But in, in a way, her, her background as a psychologist has helped because it's a lot of, sort of healing type of stuff. So, mm. you know, the bottom line is whatever education you get in life, I think it's great because you can use it for other things. Like my law degree, I don't practice law, but I write about the law all the time. I talk about legal issues on my radio show or going on MS or CNN all the time. Oh, no, it has so to be helpful. Education's yeah. really helpful. Whatever it might be, whatever, you know, like, Lenny, you're like homeschooled, right? <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know what Lenny, I, I don't know anything about your education. You know, I'm not really sure. But you guys seem well educated. <laughs> Thanks. It doesn't, oh. mean, it doesn't matter what level of education per se, doesn't mean you're going to be smart. I was always so impressed by talking to Chris Rock when I used to be at the cellar. I, I think he got high school at best, maybe went to college a teeny bit, but he would read so much. Yeah. And it made it very clear you don't have to go to formal education if you don't want it. If you're intellectually curious, you could learn and be really impressive, remarkably impressive, like Chris is. Well, but, so, but did you do you quit and do stand up? Yeah, what, first, I mean, or do you do the page? First? Why do you, you go to I the became, page program, right? I became page program was my halfway house. It was sort of my in between from being a lawyer. I told my parents I'm hey, gonna get a job at NBC, and they're like, "Oh wow, that's great!" But then I'm gonna make ten bucks an hour from making really good money as a lawyer. I was working at a good law firm in North Jersey, and I went down to making literally ten dollars an hour, and it was a struggle. And but I thought you were doing stand up as a lawyer. No. I was. No, no, no. I oh, that's what I thought. I, was not yeah. making enough, I wasn't making money. Okay, I mean, but I yeah. started staying up yeah. right before 9-11, a few years before 9-11, because that was my part of the, the plot. I had to distract the other part of 9-11. Uh, I shouldn't like, be laughing at that. You do stand-up comedy. You yeah. make me laugh, and we'll do it our thing. It's, 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 it's like the, the Americans. I get it. Yeah. Right, exactly. So my part was this. So I'm doing stand-up at night, but I'm literally – going to court, night court at times, representing people and going, look, I could spend all night here. If I can convince this guy to plead guilty now, I can get to an open mic. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, literally, that was my, I'm not even kidding. That was my thought process. Holy shit. I'm like, you got to plead guilty. <laughs> I'll get you like a really great, and I talk, I pressure the process. Like, we're talking traffic court. So it's, should we, I was about to say, should we pull up those old cases and try to help these people? <laughs> They're all in prison. <laughs> They're doing two to five because Dean got a spot at the strip. Yeah, Dean got I, I'm like, I felt bad. I'm like, look, you know, I have, I can go live my dreams or you can go to jail for six months. <laughs> it worked out. So I was thinking out and I thought, and you know, Russ Maneev was really the person who got me into the page program. Russ Maneev had been a page and I knew Russ when he was an accountant. We both started stand up together. 
he was an accountant. I was a lawyer. We would meet and try to write jokes together. And then he goes, I'm quitting being an accountant. I'm going to take a shot. I'm like, wow, that's remarkable. And he started doing that. Even when I met Greg Giraldo, Greg was still doing some legal-related stuff. We talked on the phone sometimes about law stuff. Mm. And Greg had not made the transition to full-time lawyer, to full-time comic yet either. So you, you do it little by little. So I was doing stand-up at night, doing law during the day, and then Rush told me about the page program. And I really thought I got to take a shot. I was at the point when I left being a lawyer, I was getting booked to open at like brokerage and on the road. And it was not being able to make a living at all, but making a little bit of money here and there. And I was working a little bit, maybe at New York comedy club or something, nothing, none of the bigger clubs yet. Well, stand up. We saw you at stand up New York all the time. That's where we, that's that's where where we we hang with you a lot. I felt like that was after an 11, right? I mean, that was more in years when I was a full-time comic, wasn't it? No, I think that was before, but maybe in that area, same area. Around the same time we knew you. Yeah, I think. I think, interestingly enough, I told someone this the other day that Bonnie McFarland had a bigger impact on my life than she even knows, and that we were at brokerage doing, and I was opening, she was middling. And this is really, I was still a lawyer. And she said to me, look, I don't know if you're going to make it as a comic, but I can assure you, you stay as a lawyer, you're not going. So you've got to make a choice. (laughs) And And I thought about that for a while, and I'm like, you know, she's right. I don't know even if I quit being a lawyer, will I be successful as a comic, but I know that's where my passion lies, and there's no way being a full-time lawyer I can ever be a successful comic because people might not get it, but comedy is extremely competitive. I mean, there are comics out there doing in the city 20 spots a week or 10 spots a week easily. Like you're competing with people who are hungry and are really talented. And you know, it wasn't like I quit right away, but I thought about it, and I realized, you know, she's right, and that's what made me take a chance. And with Russ's connection, the Page program, I got an interview and then got hired, and I was able to leave the law. So when I was a page, and then I worked at Center Live on the production staff for eight years, all that time I was doing stand-up, every night I wasn't, that I didn't have to work. I was out. So I viewed myself as almost a full-time comic. Yeah, guy. that's what we were all doing that. We were yeah. all basically doing that same thing. But then you somehow, you so you meet all these people, and you end up down at the cellar. Did, did you ever pass the cellar, or you just went down yeah. there to argue with the owner, Manny Dorman? No, that's how I passed. Manny <laughs> would get me, the, the, the problem was like, when I got past the cellar, and I, was, I worked at it for a few years, when I was working the cellar, I was objectively not good enough comic, except for maybe late night. Right. But because Manny wanted to argue earlier in the night, he made Esty give me spots like at 10 o'clock, 10.30. <laughs> so I'm following these remarkable comics, and I have no business being on stage. <laughs> and I was there just to entertain Manny. I was like yeah. his pet. But people don't know that he loved the, the owner of this comedy cellar, loved to argue politics and since right. he was very a big zionist and you're you have uh, the muslim ties that was like perfect for him it was his dream we, we would argue about middle east every night i had a i focused less on writing jokes and more reading the history of the middle east to go to the <laughs> and, and manny would email me during the day topics that we were going to discuss oh, <laughs> yeah. reading i'm not this is completely true like i didn't i don't think i've ever told anybody but that was manny would and like manny I remember once he came to Gotham. I was hosting at Gotham. He drove up. I go, what are you doing here? He goes, I want to talk about the Middle East. I'm like, I'm hosting at Gotham. I'm here at Gotham. Go back to the cellar. Like, this is how I heard this was the legendary stories of you guys arguing until 4 o'clock in the morning, absolute screaming matches, and then he'd go, come on, I'll drive you home. All the time. He would, we would, it was until 1 or 2 in the morning. We were yelling. There was a night I remember everyone was sitting around us. Like I remember Keith Robinson was there and – um, I remember Keith and, and a bunch of others, probably Nick DiPaolo and others all sitting around. And we're, we're all sort of engaged in a conversation. And then it's just when me and Manny are yelling. And we, we, we probably yelled at each other for like an hour. And when I looked around, everyone was gone. It was just us. <laughs> no one, everyone had just left. And I didn't even know that's how engaged we were. And then he'd make sure I eat. because you got to have chicken wings. Right, on, right. Some, and, they were, and then he'd go, want to ride? And then we'd stop for a hot dog. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. So and, let me – I, I, I like Manny very much. He became like – if he didn't pass away, I'm sure I would have stayed at the cellar for years because I enjoyed doing stand-up there. Of course, it was great. Yeah. But I also enjoyed fighting with Manny. Nah. 9-11 happens and then things that's change. But that, that's post-9-11. When yeah. I was going there with the cellar, it was after 9-11. Yeah. But then 9-11 happens, and then how do you – real quick, I need like a one-minute answer. How do you get from that and then obviously 
you know, there was always a joke from some of the Muslims of the new blacks, you know, at that point. And so how does that turn to your head to go, okay, how about we do a Muslim comedy festival? Is it just to laugh at everything or is it just to make people aware? How did this come from your head to making it happen? I thought it'd be a great opportunity to laugh at Americans after what they've been through. You know, this is what we're doing now. What do you mean? This is the Arab comedy festival we founded in 2003. That's really the first thing. And Neil was involved in the Arab American Comedy. Yeah, was a, it was great. Started in 2003, two years after 9/11, and it really was to show a different side to Arab Americans because everything then was negative. And we're talking about two years after 9/11. Yeah. Everything was negative. Yep. And we wanted to create a platform for Arab Americans to showcase their talents, and and it got a lot of media coverage. And we're like, this is great. We're showing people a different side to Arab. So it really was activist. Yeah, it got a, a huge media coverage, and it actually did can. I have to say the talent that's can, come the from talent's the festival come from is amazing. That, yeah, you got Rami out there. He was around Hassan uh, Minaj, Lath. Can they no, thank? No, Hassan Minaj. He wasn't he's it? Muslim. He's not Arab. Oh, no, okay. Rami was a producer on our. He was like a nineteen-year-old kid. He came. Most of his show are people from our festival. We all know. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Lath. Can he thank you for launching his career? He was really talented. Anyway, uh, he is he, no, but he, he's acknowledged in conversations we've had in interviews that the festival played a role and that a lot of people he got to know and he uses in the show are because of the festival, especially the actors, because we used to have sketch night in the festival and he was very involved in that. He wasn't doing stand-up. Mm-hmm. And Neil was involved in that. Yeah, and, that's where I met him and worked with him yeah, all the time. Yeah, Wally and Waleed. Late Nackley was a staple of it. So a lot of the people... And, and then the comics, like Dave Merhej, as a comic, was involved for many years. Uh, Mo Amr a little bit, but a lot of the... Even the, the woman who plays his sister, May, was in our festival. Wow. So it really is a lot of our festival come to life, and I'm really proud of that. Yeah, it's that. pretty that, amazing. That was always our dream. So how does it go from there real quick? How do you go from there? You start working with, like, Scott Blakeman to bring awareness with, like, a Jew and a Muslim going in and, and doing or an Arab, doing I don't these like shows. I say Jew, Lenny. i got to be The honest. Jews. <laughs> I don't like I'm uncomfortable. I gotta the Muslims and the Jews? Could, if like it's that. plural, it sounds better? Or <laughs> Jewish <laughs> people? Jew, like... Jews like that's something like the Jews. Only the Jews can say Jews like that. I totally, I agree with you. If you say Jew like that, it's not good. But if I say it, it works. It's fine. The right, that's the only way it works. (laughs) But you're absolutely right. Believe me, when somebody not Jewish says it like I just said it, not good. Um, Instantly don't like it. it. But so anyway, you you and Scott Blakeman do this two man thing, and it it does well, right? You tour the globe, right? We used to, well, no, we did mostly across the states. We did a lot of colleges. We did perform a lot at, at synagogues and mosques. They would book us as the, the performers because we were clean and funny. And I was really proud that we would bring Muslim and Jewish students together, together on campus. Sometimes they had never worked together before, and this was their first vehicle to do that. And even with communities, like adults, having it, we'd, we'd be at a synagogue, and they teamed up with the Muslim community in the area, and we had a show, or vice versa, at a mosque. But... With COVID, obviously, it slowed down. We haven't done a show since March. But there was a time we were really traveling a lot across the country doing the show. And I liked it. Again, it was activist. All my work, the common denominator in everything has been activism. Even my political stuff today, it, I've never really changed. I've used different vehicles to reach people. That's all it's been about. Mm, I see. So now they start asking you on TV to how do you get from there to the I'm, I'm going to go to the second segment here. Oh, but we've got to ask him the question about what's... Sust- oh, guess you well, I'm going to ask him in the second one. We have a question. We, we have a good ask. question. So, um, politics turns into sort... You sort of try to take so a turn here. So the first corner's done. First corner's done. Oh, we know about shit. the $100. Dollar. We go... And I, I pass? I you pass. <laughs> you pass. But now you sort of transition to this politics as a career. So it's like... Um, but... So you were asked probably as a funny person who is also a Muslim, also informed politically and did these shows. So now they're asking you, to, how do you go from that to TV? Now, it gets kind of serious. I mean, you're making jokes and everybody wants to like a, a funny political segment on their show. And they're like, get this guy. Is that how it works? It really it did in the beginning, definitely. And also there was I think now there's more of a, a premium on representation in the media than there was 15 years ago. But there were some people who were like, wow, we've never had someone who's Arab-American or Muslim-American doing comedy or coming on our show. Let's do that. It was sort of this kind of unique thing. I think now it's more by design. I'm very happy it is. But so that's really what happened. I was doing the first thing I, I would writing for Huffington Post, which anyone could write that. It wasn't paid. And I would write articles about politics and try to be funny in it. 
and one of them got the attention that somebody at CNN, a producer, and then TJ Holmes was then anchor it, and they had me on. And then the the bookers, I was like, you're really good. Do you want to come back another time? I'm like, sure. I didn't think anything of it. I said, sure, I'll come back. And then little by little, and then another producer there said, you should try to write some articles for CNN. You should write for Huffington Post. I didn't get paid for it, but I go, okay. And I wrote four or five articles for CNN for free opinion, and then they did well. And they said, we'll pay you. Do you want to write more frequently? And that's like seven or eight years ago now. And I've been writing weekly for CNN.com and getting paid for that. And because of that, then you start going on air. Some of the articles went from being funny to much more serious. And I think Trump changed all of that. Like his open humanization of Muslims Mm -hmm. took everything to a new level of seriousness. How do you get the show? How do you get the radio show? Well, a lot had to do with Pete Dominic. You guys all know Pete Dominic, yep. right? Comic. Mm-hmm. That he is. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> he's Lebanese. See, there's a guy. He did. He's a he's a quarter Lebanese. He had a, a really very successful show for years, and he would have me on as a guest, and then said to me, "You want a guest host here and there?" I'm like, "Okay." I never thought about it. I didn't aspire to do radio. I never thought about it. And I would do it here and there, and then again the same thing, like. You just happen to be at the right place at the right time. It's serendipity. But I think you got to do the work so that when you're there, you have the talent level you need that if someone does like you, you can move forward. So another executive from another channel happened to listen and said, hey, do you want to guest host this other channel a little? And I said, okay. And then sort of do that here and there. And then Pete pitched this whole channel called Insight Channel. And he goes, you should pitch a weekend show to them because you're not ready to host full time. And that was true. But do it on Saturday and develop. And I did. And, and they said, okay, well, and it was about being Muslim in America. And we mm-hmm. have a sense of humor, we have some comedy, but I'd have like Muslim American members of Congress and activists on. And I just started doing that on Saturdays for a year or so. And once you're in that family at Series XM, then they said, can you guest host here? Can you guest host there? And then I was, before you know, I was hosting one hour a day, five days a week on Insight on Peach Channel because somebody left. And then the Progress Channel, where I am now, the political channel, something open, and they tested a whole bunch of people. It was like for six months. I'd go for a week, and then someone else would go for a week, and someone else would go for a week. And then ultimately they offered me the show. It was like three years ago. So now I'm doing it five nights a week, three hours a day. It's amazing. And it, was this, it was sort of this unplanned journey into where I am now. It was never yeah, planned. So but again, it's activism. The reason I'm attracted to it is that I can talk about issues that I'm passionate about. Same way on stand-up. I can write it. I write the stuff. I can talk about it. I'm the producer, the director. And if it resonates, then it's successful. If it doesn't resonate, then you tweak it or you move on. So it's fascinating how little by little like it all comes together. It's like the performing end, the comedy end, the politics end. And then it'll the all... The law, law it, degree. The law degree. Yeah. It all wraps it kind up of all into this... Bu- it makes total sense now, right? Yeah, yeah. This makes, was part of the plan, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> so, how it worked, I sit down and go... My uncle. No, but you're but but it's Your one dad of those knew the whole time. It's one of those things where you don't see the end. You know, you don't you can't see this when you you go, I don't want to no. do law anymore. But you can no. it just all comes yeah, okay. I wanna just I wanna go back to wrap up Uh-oh. the first one because Neil and I were and then I'm gonna you can do that. I'm sorry. I'm gonna come I'm sorry, no, it's my show. <laughs> and then I'm gonna pepper you with questions. What is the dream job? Are you living the, this dream like mishmash life, or at some point do you just want to go? I want to be like that Aman Mohadeen hosting three o'clock MSNBC every day and bringing that to it. First of all, it's Amen Mohadeen. Okay, whatever. Amen, what, what, <laughs> Aman. All right. Well, uh, yeah. You, his name's not Bob Smith. I'm just gonna say that. All right. <laughs> Letty's no offense. Kill. He's killing. Is your dream to be like uh, Anderson Cooper and CNN? No, you know? my dream is to have a podcast with Lenny. Oh, oh shit! Yeah. You're here. Well, you're here. Now, this is you're out. You're replace one Arab Retirement. Neil's like half or a quarter. Arab yeah, that was in. By the way, I'm just that, that let Lenny do his little speech. Hear my little speech. Ne- Dean will tell you that's not true. N- he couldn't be uh, when Neil said, "I'm doing this Muslim comedy festival or Arab comedy Arab. festival, whatever Arab. it is." It's Arab. First one All right, was Arab, Arab comedy Arab festival. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, because if it was Islam, Muslim is a fake. Yeah, ah, got it. So the Arab comedy festival. Okay, when he says he's going to do the Arab comedy festival, I'm like, come on. I mean, first of all, there's no such thing. You hate these people. What second of all, right? no. First, there's no such thing, and second of all, I'm like, why would they invite you? Right, and he's right. like, "Well, I'm a quarter Arab, half Beth- Arab, ha- please." Half. And Bethel's yeah. a, Bethel's quarter Arab, whatever it is, and I'm like, 
Since half. when? I know this guy like 20 years. Since when? You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like since when this is uh, the this is Arabs. You've never said one thing that has anything to do with Arabs or Dean made me show the Arab card before I got exactly. in. Exactly. So I don't know how you vetted him, but you know That's we were but I get accused Dan Natterman, if I see him tomorrow, he'll say, Dean, I knew Dean when he was Italian. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Natterman, I can't do an impression of Natterman because I haven't heard his voice in a while. I used to be able yeah. to do cadence. Uh, <laughs> Dean, it's a bunch of garbage. Uh, yeah. yeah, he was, he was, he was Italian. I remember when he was Italian. Yeah. Now, somehow he's like, I'm an Arab. What is this, a career move? Uh, and then the, the best is when I would have comments who aren't Arab say, can I be in the festival? I go, you're not Arab. They go, but they'd say things like, but I'm, you know, I'm Aziz Ansari. When Aziz was a newer comic, and said, "Why to me and to Mason, why can't we be in your Arab? Why can't I be in your Arab comedy festival?" I go, and I wasn't being a dick. I go, "But Aziz, it's it's Arab. You're not. You're South Asian." Right. And he'd be like, "Well, come on." And kind of you know the Aziz thing, uh, you know. And, <laughs> and then he, became, he was like a dick to me after that forever. Like, I <laughs> because I, I remember he was booking something here in New York at UCB, and he knew me for years. And I go, "Can I do a spot?" He goes, "You have to send me a tape." I go. We've been in shows together. <laughs> Why are you picking dick? That's and amazing. I really think it goes back to yeah. the festival that comics wanted to get into it because they, it was hot. Yeah, and the industry was coming at the time. It was the only place to see us. Yeah, and it was not part. I thought the, I had nothing against Aziz and others. Azar Osman, who writes for Rami's show, same thing. Wanted to be in the Arab festival. He understood more, but it was a different time. Um, so getting back to my question, what is the dream job here for you? Are you doing it or, um, partly, I mean, I I like being able to talk, to live in my, my entire life in my apartment. My show is from my apartment, but I'm torn a lot. I mean, part of me still has dreams of running for office and being an elected official, Oh wow! but I'm not sure if I, if I will or not. I mean, there's the public service part to me is still a hundred percent appeals to me. Like if, if Biden called up and said, we want you to be in the administration, I think I would do that. If it was a, a good position, he's not going to. But I'm saying, in running for office, I love the handshaking. I love going out and talking to people. But raising millions of dollars, like you're running for Congress every mm. two years, mm-hmm. when I think that money can go to other things to help people, I have such an issue with it. It's always kept me back from not that I couldn't raise the money. Maybe I could. Maybe I couldn't. Well, me and Bethel, me and Bethel could throw a ten dollar plate dinner for you guys to raise money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, well, if that doesn't happen, it would be a t- you know something. What would you run for? Visibility or a TV show? Something that's look. If you're if you're truly an activist, you want your views out there to as many people as possible because delusionally you hope it can change. That's the delusion I live in. Right. The delusion that I can talk about issues and change them. So the bigger the platform, the more I can hopefully reach people and change them on whatever okay. issue I'm talking Well, about. let me ask you this then. Let me go. I have two political questions that I really want to get out. You're a very sweet man. We've known you for a long time. It's a comedy, mean business, politics, yeah. meaner business. I mean, right. but why do this to yourself? It's just because you love people? I mean, you don't seem like the guy, I mean, who you must have patience of a saint to argue with Manny want to change people, want to change the bigger picture. Mm-hmm. I mean, is it that in you? Because, God, yeah. what two yeah, yeah, exhaustingly yeah, yeah. mean businesses. People just screaming at you. Hecklers from everywhere. Well, they call my radio show. you got to hear some of the Trump supporters. <laughs> and we, I try to be civil with them. And there are times I just, you can't be. I Again, it goes back to being delusional, but I hope sanely delusional, that if you reach people, you can change them. And that I also learned not to take anything personal in our business. Mm. Both, I think I got a really thick skin from being a comic, and it makes it easier in this world of media where people can't believe how much I repitch myself for things and then ultimately get them sometimes. Because we come from the comedy world where you're always pitching yourself, and they're always saying no until they say yes. And I learned later in life it was not personal. Like Gotham didn't pass me for years, not because they didn't like me, because ultimately they passed me. Once I could contribute to their business, I was good enough to be on their stage. Right. And that's the same thing at all the clubs. And I learned that about the entire industry. And so I took that mindset to the world of media that no is just no for now, generally. It's, you work at it. Sometimes, objectively, I wasn't good enough. I realized that I'm the first to realize my deficits, and I work at them to, to improve on my things all the time and go back and repitch and repitch. I mean, I literally just became a columnist for MSNBC two days ago. 
after writing freelance for their think thing, NBC Think, which is more like this op-ed in this clouds. Mm-hmm. But now they want they call me and say we'd like you to write weekly for us, and it's not exclusive. I can still write for CNN and stuff, but you know it's it's sort of this progression, and and as a result now. You know, Al Sharpton show just reached out to me and said, do you want to come on this weekend? Because then you're more in the MSNBC family. Right. So it's a path. You continue. As long as you're making progress, I don't take things personally. I really don't. I have a thick skin. I I did have Trump supporting neo-Nazis who literally they were neo-Nazis who wanted to kill me this a couple of years ago and fabricated tweets saying I was a terrorist. But we sued them. Right. In federal court. I was going to ask you about that. Mm -hmm. We can't collect. But. Wait, why can't you collect? You won like $4 million. Why, why can't you collect? They don't have any money? Nazis are really good at bigotry, but not good at investing, it turns out. <laughs> so, <laughs> so they have to, like, you have to garnish Nazi wages? You or? get the crab shack, I, I, the barbecue shack. Like, can't you do a white sale? Can't you, <laughs> can you do a bake sale? All angel cake? I don't get all white. I don't really get to make the money. <laughs> but no, I remember doing jokes about this, and people wouldn't laugh because they didn't know if I was telling the truth about any of this. Yeah. But... It was obviously all true, 100 percent true. Except, uh, but my point is, Lenny, yeah, you, look, you've got a thicker skin than the average person, even if you don't know it. Well, I like, too. I like the positivity of it. Like, no for now. So now Neil and I were, oh, we're wow. I think I, Neil and I were, we're gonna say that forever. Neil, it's no for now. We've been doing this 25 years, and everybody said no to us, so it's no for now, Neil. <laughs> uh, but by the time we're 80, somebody's gonna be like, I like you for this part. Where's Lenny Marcus? Yeah, I, I got it. Lenny that stop. guy was hilarious. I'll stop crying in my apartment at night. <laughs> wait, so <laughs> wait, my, wait, I gotta wait, qu- one, one question. So Dean, what you talked about that, but how hard is it to to not? to do the comedy and politics, especially with Trump, everything's so serious. And when you, can you still plow in the jokes or is it harder? Is it getting harder and harder in your career to, to be funny and all right, let me, political. let me piggyback on this one. Is it, Uh-oh. is it, I'm going to pick, cause he basically asked the same question I was going to ask in a different way. Is it fun for you? Is it hard for you? Is it easy for you to con your the politics divides the room. So as soon as you do it comedically, you got problems. Obviously, if you do it on your radio show, you got problems. You say anything about anything now, half the people are going to hate you. Is this exhausting? Is it fun? I, I To me, I think the unique thing about Trump is that uh, there was a weight to him. There was a fear factor that he earned for communities that it actually made it even harder to make people who hated Trump were in the communities he demonized to laugh at him. George Bush was vastly different. George Bush, you do everyone did Bush jokes. Remember that? Right. No yeah. Before that, right. Nobody cared. With Trump, I think comedy will be better after Trump. In fact, I'm writing an article for this next week, and that comedy during Trump, like there were even people who were progressives on our side who would say, well, "I was doing more Trump jokes. You're making light of him. You're normalizing him. You're making people laugh at him in a way where you're taking away the fear that he's." cause or the hate crimes our community and various mm. communities have sustained because of him. And I think with Trump gone, it'll allow us comics, you want to do Biden jokes? No one's going to care. You know, even progressives won't care. But the, the, the fear that Trump has really engendered, that communities are truly yeah. saying, look, this guy wants to ban all Muslims. This guy's caused hate crimes against blacks and Latinos. He's discriminated against the LGBT community with the military. Like you're doing jokes. No joke you can do does justice for what we're going through, and we feel like you're making light of it. And Alec Baldwin even said a few years ago that when playing Trump that he was concerned that he could be going in the wrong direction, that it becomes such a caricature he's no longer mm. the threatening, scary figure that people should really view him as. Yes. And and that's the challenge. So, no, I, I never cared about people not liking you. Wouldn't you rather have 50 people love you than 100 people feel warmly about you? I mean, you'd rather – and I don't care if 50 – you know, they don't really hate me. They disagree with me. But if they hate me, so be it. I, I don't care. Hmm. I don't try to be hated. It's not like that. Okay. But I need to be liked. I have that need. But if you're going to dislike me, like me because of my politics, so be it. That's part of who I am. Okay, let me ask you. I'm going to ask you three quick questions as fast as you can answer them. Okay, uh-huh. number one. Is everything we're going through now based in racism? Um, because... Uh, you mean this show? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, the answer to that is yes. No, that what everything in the country politically is it all? Are we? Are we? Is it just that's the great divide? How do people not see everything you're saying that he is, that Trump was like? Is he's a racist, xenophobic, everything? He, he hates everything just for his own. He's a complete narcissist, and he might be faking it just for his own good. 
but everything he's bubbling up to the surface isn't it just based on all those horrible the worst in people yeah I, I think that I think more broadly sort of appealing to the worst in people but fearing appealing to some like I talked to some of his base yes some it's about demographic change it's some they hated the black president they're racist they hate Muslims you know there's no disputing that for some it really is about a tax cut for the wealthy others it's the pro-life part I, I cannot dissect them well enough to know honestly who's truthful and who's not but there's no denying Donald Trump is a white supremacist there's no de- okay wh- okay so like that. that's, wait that's so like. here's my second part of this question I'm running out of time so, guys, like in in Congress, Jim Jordan, Doug Collins, Mark Meadows, Trey Gowdy, all those people, they ba- all the Republicans, all the Senate, they're back in this. Why? They know better. They must know better. You're telling me just because they represent people who also think they're also racist and think like this, or no. and that's and they want to stay in power. It's more about power than country. They want to save their own ass. Is that what? Why no, are these people like this? That. I disagree. I just wrote. I've written about this. I've been on air. I so disagree with the media narrative that Republican elected officials, they go along because they fear Trump. No, they go along because they agree with Trump. They're the same white supremacists. They're the same bigots. Come on. Yeah. These, are, these are adults. They know what they're doing. They're, they might be saying, well, I don't want to lose my seat. No. Deep down, they want to keep the white superiority in this country. Deep down, they don't like Muslims. They think brown people are a threat. They think blacks are criminals. That's what they think. They're on board with Trump because they agree with Trump. These are adults making decisions. A lot of them are lawyers or they're millionaires. They can do other things in their lives. There's so many members of Congress who are millionaires. They don't need this. Well, here's the last question. They're down with it. I know. They're going to take – here's the thing. So they're willing to take down the entire democracy. Yep. For their world. For their little shit world. For their power. It's a a fascist power struggle. It's a fascist power grab. And I mean fascist in the academic sense, which is – really Malin Albright defined really well in her book fascism that it's really undemocratic means to acquire and retain power and there's ways of doing it and Trump has checked all the boxes turning people against each other well, so give us some I, how wait, does it one more turn back I've never That's had well I've never had this feeling in, in no matter what I've never had a feeling where I really I don't really know if he's lost I know he lost but it's like it's, it did he like are you sure I feel oh, like lost. I'm, I mean, I no, I know he lost. No, the I, numbers wise, he, he was the head of comedians for Trump. <laughs> no, no, he, I know he, he lost. Mean, like, but the I've never seen wise. someone someone take over the country oh, in a yes, yeah, but so much so that be, be honest with you, he's got this feeling in my. I got this feeling in my gut that it's not, it's not over. Like I, I won't, I, I need like it to be over in two weeks. Like I need Biden up on the stand and saying he's the president. Cause it just, it's something scary that because those people are so powerful behind the scenes, Mitch McConnell, and these guys, and they want a world. I'm still not trusting this has happened. It's, it's, I don't, and I think, uh, I think the world feels like that. Like, even when I hear a CNN guy go, oh, oh no, he won. It's over. They're kind of, in me, they're saying it like, are they? They're not, no one's sure. What Do you is, feel uh, that way? And on top of that, I'm going to end this, this and you can answer and we'll be done with this section. What, how do you change it? How does this, how can you fix this? Go. One is get rid of the electoral college so we don't have these games that can be played. That's part of it. The other is that it's Donald Trump. There's nothing to prevent another Republican from openly lying like this. Right. Maybe social media close, clamps down on the lies more, but it's about the person. The other things you can do more with Congress, with a new president, is get rid of some of the garbage he did, like having acting people as opposed to confirmed by Senate. You close the window how many days they can actually serve and have power. Right. You know, you strengthen other safeguards about a president declaring an emergency and spending billions of dollars that Congress didn't approve to build this pet project, a wall. I mean, there's ways Congress can do things, but there's nothing to stop a future president if they're going to be the sociopath that this sicko is to, and fascist that he is to do this. I mean, that's the reality. The GOP's got to be the gatekeeper. They can't let someone like this be the nominee. But if the person can win, I just wrote about this last week. I mean, experts have said that the GOP has descended into authoritarianism over the last few years. It's been the last 10, 12 years rejecting democratic norms to keep power. All they are about is power. Yeah. That really is the essence of fascism. That's really what it is. That's what it is. Yeah, and you feel it. That's what I feel like when I'm watching. I just feel it. It's 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 awful. It's not going away anytime soon. All right, let's move on. 
Oh, we could do that all day with Dean. I got yeah, 400 yeah. more questions. We didn't even <laughs> wow. talk about Millie, unfortunately. <laughs> You'll have to come back. So third corner I want to do today is um, we got to change the subject because anybody listening to this, we always we never talk politics. So this is like the only time we'll, ah. we have to have somebody, a complete expert, which we have today. But we're going to go to a complete different topic. Holiday, end of year expenses. So t- like tipping, end of the year expenses. Neil, I, I don't know if we've done this before, but I mean, I have eight people that I have to tip in this building. There was like four doormen, two porters, one. Wow. Like it is. Well, we do, we do, don't get tipped. Comics don't get tipped. What do you tipped. tip them? Like 200 each? No, no, no. Not 200 each? No, it's not that crazy, but it's enough to, it adds up. Well, what do you tip them? Like 100 each? The doorman. Okay. You know, the oh, that's main pretty door- good. Well, Dean, you have to tip your guys too, right? I don't tip anyone. That's what, that's what I'm known for. So, <laughs> <laughs> I haggle. I haggle. <laughs> oh, that's right. That's what I do. You would want a hundred dollars tip. I give you eight dollars, my friend. I mean, yeah. eight dollars for you, and they're like twelve dollars. Of course, I tip you. You have to if you live in. Look, when if people are not living in a building, it's an apartment building with door people and service people. They're gonna have no clue what we're talking about. Most people live in houses, I think. But yeah. Yeah. If you live in an apartment building like we do, and. You got to tip. You have no choice. Of course, I tip. It's the way. Well, gotta, they, they work hard. Now, why you, are people? Why are people so afraid of socialism? Then, if I'm tipping everybody, like I'm taking <laughs> care of everybody in the building. But do you tip? Do you tip the people? This is my question. When you tip them, right? Then you got to keep tipping them when they come to your apartment and fix shit. Yeah, they fix it stuff. Yeah. So, or do you tip them? And is it over? Is that tip for the all the years work? Mine no. Some more verbal tips. About my- <laughs> That's what I like. That. That's like you <laughs> did a great let job. Dean goes. Dean goes. Who'd you vote for? Trump. Let me give you a tip. <laughs> Not good. Let me give you a tip. Let me give you a two-hour tip. Yeah. But I have like other end of the year. So we have all the, like the holiday season is obviously, yes, it's a holiday season. It's a good feeling. But there's presents to buy for family yeah. and like. And work. It, and yeah. work. At the end of the year expenses just keep adding up. I have uh, my life lock so shit doesn't get stolen, which it seems like data is getting stolen every two seconds. I've had my identity you got stolen. Lock? I got life lock for oh, me shit. and Oh, that Gina. guy in Wisconsin took yeah, you. Yeah, I got a guy one time trying to take my identity. Well, I go, <laughs> my website. I got a home insurance. I got I got like Quicken software. They want every year. You know. What about want. all the supermarket suite people? Do you have to? You feel like you got to give gift for them? No, that's that's Leslie's job. She's the boss on that one. So, but I mean, if there was somebody that was working for me, like an assistant, I would probably have. Yeah, to. Dean, do you have to get all the people that because you work uh, different jobs? Do you have to get everybody something? In theory, I would. <laughs> like the board ops, all these board ops for your radio show. You buy them stuff. Are you telling me I should? I'll give it some thought. No, no, I think about it. I think every yeah. year I sit down and go, okay, this is the year I'm going to show all these people how much I love them and appreciate them, and then sure, and then I give nobody anything. <laughs> <laughs> I try, you know, I like I, I two people on my show, and I give them like Amazon gift card type of things, and I used to give things like send a basket to certain people executives at Sears XM or even my agent and stuff like that. Yeah. Different times I've done that. And th- this year you can't because I don't know where they live. I can't, but I would have, to be honest, usually every year there's a few people at Sears XM, some of the executives I'll send, you know, candy or hot chocolate things, you know, small things, sort of trinkets yes. to make them realize that you appreciate their, their work and their effort. And the yeah. My wife got a show. gift basket yesterday with all this wine, like three bottles of wine, all this like sweets and all this stuff. Right. And she's like, ah, this wine's garbage. Give it a Neil. You know, like, get, like give, she's, give, she's immediately giving it a Neil. Like, and I'm eating the, the candy and I'm like, ah, whatever. And But the gift basket is worth like, I don't know, let's say it's worth 50 bucks, right? I'm like, just give. I've been saying, even when I worked, I used to say the boss used to do that over the holidays. He'd give everybody like these stupid little trinkets. I'd be like, just give me the 50 bucks, you know, like. Yeah. But it's still, he's got to give out gifts too. He's end of year bonuses. Everybody's giving out like end of year stuff. Like it's just never ending with this. It seems like money goes out the door so fast over, you know, my wife, for perfect example. I'll get her a holiday gift. We've bought so much crap during the year. You know, we have so many expenses are tight. It's been an awful year, you know. Okay, what do you want for your, what do you want for the holidays? You don't have to get me anything. I have everything I need. I have you, sweetie. That's right, girls. I'm that person, <laughs> right? But she, of course, wants something. What do you want? And she wants like a massage gun. You know, this massage wow. gun. It's like a $400 massage gun. What? 
Yeah, it's like this top of the line Rolls Royce of massage guns. I'm like, come on, man. I don't have $400 to spend on a massage gun. There's been no spots, you know? Can you just, how about, a? you know, I make you a nice, you know, uh, candy hearts, you know, or something, you know? So you got the massage gun? Of course I got the massage gun. (laughs) Terrible, but I have no money. Yeah, I'm tipping people and buying massage guns. She wants one present for the year. I'll get her the one present. What do you want? I don't want anything. I don't want, don't spend another dime. Maybe she'll spend the money that I was going to spend on something else on the house. Are you taking in, are you taking in money? Are you breaking even on this, both of you guys? No, I'm not. You mean I'm getting extra? T- I'm getting. Are bonuses? you getting enough gifts that you're breaking even on your? No, on the Adam, here's here's what I would do. <laughs> you got nothing coming in. I get my hen gives me a gift, and you know my mom or something like my sister. We exchange some gifts, but no, the other things are for the work things. No, they're not giving me anything back. I give them things. That's it. I oh, swear to God, shit. you know at the comedy cellar, the comedy cellar for the week of Christmas, they used to have from like right before the week of Christmas all the way through the re- to the first of the year, basically. They would give you, it was like weekend pay rather than weekday pay oh. all the way through multiple shows. So I would take all that money. Gina, I would take Gina, let the baby and Gina go to uh, Pennsylvania, go see grandma. I would stay here, work like a dog the whole week to pay off all this crap. All, wow. all the presents, all the tips for the people. All, and I'm swear, I swear, Dean, wash. Every year, it's a wash. Every year of and this year, it's a debt. Yeah, Look, it's, it's a debt. A I'm holiday. The end of the year expenses for me is a debt now. Like I dread December. It's cold. We got COVID. <laughs> I'm stuck in the house, and somehow I'm still dishing out cash. How is this possibly I'm, happening? I'm glad it's all about you. <laughs> That's what <it's> <laughs> How is by the way? How is Noam? Do you talk to Noam at the cellar? I do. I'll talk to him once in a blue moon. He's fu- he's miserable. He wants to get his business back. You know, the com- this is the year where you don't have to give anybody anything because this whole right. we're, we're all I mean, this is a year where you can really bail give out. COVID. You just give them COVID. Yeah, you just yeah. give them COVID. I mean, this is the year. What did you get me? COVID. But even <laughs> COVID, if if I take my daughter to Pennsylvania now out of this our little bubble here and then I have to bring her back, if she if we if they, you know, if daycare is still open, I have to either stay at home for a week or I got to get her tested. So what's a COVID test? cost is another expense that i have to put in for this that's well end of the year uh, is me, killing me for me it's just i'm trying to break even that's still my strategy but my little brothers he has three girls so therefore i have to give each uh-huh. i have to give each one of them a gift there you go and then they give me one thing back exactly so i'm Neil giving out five off. things so this year because of the covid and everybody's situation i'm just giving one gift per family yeah, that's this. Is Neil the first used time to I've be really good. This. Neil would give out like Apple watches and get back like a, a piece of fruit. Yeah, yeah. I get like, are you in it just to get something back that's worthwhile? <laughs> I, my sister's got three little kids. Yeah, and I remember I'm like, this is so selfish. You keep having kids that I have to give gifts to. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, do you get a gift for? Would you get a gift for each one of the kids, or do you get a family yeah. gift? No. For the the parents don't get them. That was the deal. Oh, so uh, you. So I just give the kids gifts. See, I give the parents. House. I'm not even a kid, you know. But <laughs> I give the parents and the kids, and then they oh, and then they give you one thing back, right? I, I don't think that's a good exchange rate. There. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's very good. I don't. I've never thought about. Funny, I've never even thought about getting the gifts and getting it returned. Like what I'm going to get. It's more of. I'm giving gifts and I enjoy giving the gifts and they get it and they're appreciative. That's, when they're appreciative, I'm like, that was a good gift. This is what, I'm, what I look at. It. No, this is exactly I what think, I'm saying. He's all, a nice I, man. I think He's that's a, nice a beautiful – and I'm like that. I love the joy of – I love giving gifts and just being super happy and giving everybody gifts. But it, at the same time, it, it stings a little bit when you spend $500, $600 on gifts for everybody and then you get back like a, a T-shirt worth $20. <laughs> And it just it just stings. And, 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 and also, that, this year you don't have to do that. And I don't know. Like, quite frankly, I mean, we've gotten to our lives here. We're all about the same age. We we've gotten to our lives where I don't know how much stuff you need. I don't need anything anymore. There's very rarely do I. I don't need another shirt. I can't. Right. What yeah. do I need another shirt for? So giving the gift to a kid that that'll make their they'll dance around. You're the best uncle ever, Neil. But them giving you what they don't even know what to buy for you. There's nothing to buy. What do we get, Neil? Another hat? That's another baseball true. hat. That's and true. That's true. It's it's it's, it's so it's like. Uh, I, but I would love about gifts, but but what have you gotten gifts from your wife or your 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 daughter your daughter right yeah who that I don't know how old she is yet you're saying she's in school they're gonna give you gifts you don't like yeah you're gonna be forced to wear that yeah by the way and I'm forced to wear it and I'm the worst gift receiver of all time like oh yeah thanks my that's why I don't want it that's another reason uh 
I don't want to give gifts because I don't want you to give me anything back. Can we just call it a wash? Because I'm going to, I know I'm going to give you exactly what you want. I'm going to research it. I'm going to buy this nail gun. And my wife's going to give me like, oh yeah, I got you this little tchotchke. Like, what? No, that's not that, you know, that shirt, it looks good on you. Thank you. Thank you for the shirt. When people ask me, what do you want? Like Hen says, what do you want for a gift? Or my sister will say for my birthday, you know, or Christmas, or what do you want? I'm like, like you, Lenny, like, I'm like. There's nothing. There's nothing pressing, and if there was anything pressing, I just buy it. Yeah, just go online and buy it. <laughs> my wife like, threatens me now. She's like, "Hey, don't buy it." You know, sales come up, and I'm like, "Oh yeah, I need a new one of those." And my wife's like, "What are you buying it for? What are you buying it for? I could have gotten it for you for your yeah. gift." I'm like, "Because it was on, it was in front of me. I, you know, you don't have. Hen, <laughs> oh, Hen, you don't know Hen Lenny, but Neil does. Yeah, she was actually mad at me two days ago. I got a scarf, an amazing sale at Saks All Fifth. It was like. <laughs> Cyber something extended. Right. And she was like, "Why didn't you?" She goes, "Why didn't you tell me that I would have got it for Christmas?" I'm like, "Well, whatever." And then she got mad at me. Like, yeah, I agree. Me. I like, well, first of all, for me buying myself. Like, no, I agree with her. I agree with her. You should have never gone. To, that's ridiculous to buy a scarf this close to the holidays. You're just setting. You're setting yourself up. Yeah, for you the can't kill. buy a scarf. By the way, who buys right. scarves? How so I side with her. Need? She's totally right. What a fancy pants. <laughs> yeah. Who are you? This- I'm, I'm cold. <laughs> <laughs> Should I get you an ascot for uh, your birthday? Like, come on, Dean. How dare you? What, are you going to buy a jacket neck? Wait, if, 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 if. God, are you on TV? <laughs> Talk about a political pundit. I'm buying them jet sport coats and slacks. Well, what if they buy you, what if Hannah and Gina buy you guys something that you don't like? Do you wear it? Um, No, I'll return it. Gina doesn't care. I'll You'll return it, it? Dean? Yes. Well, with hand, we try. You'll wear it, right? We've been. Uh, <laughs> there's sometimes that neither of us ever liked it, and we'll be like, "Look, I, I want to get some." No, I honestly don't mind. You'll wear it. As long as nah, if I like it, no, there are some things I have some ties. Here. She's in the other room. That's why I'm being quiet. That <laughs> 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 I don't like at all. But I'm like, oh, they're beautiful. But I put them on the bottom. Like I never wear them ever. Uh, and yeah, um, you're gonna have to wait so, for that weekend that you know nobody's watching now. on TV. <laughs> All right, let's so go to the... Why do you wear my tie on TV? I'm like, because I want to get booked again? No? <laughs> <laughs> Is that the wrong answer? Uh, uh, All right, let's go to the final one. Neil, right, I'm going to put I'm you out in of here. I'm going right. to put Neil in the booth. What's the quiz? Uh-oh. I'm not going to tell you the quiz. Yeah. I can't tell you the quiz. You're going to go to Birdie's room? Yeah. Okay. We're going to put Neil in the soundproof booth bubble. Okay. And um, like I said, we do quizzes um, every once in a while. I mean, we mix up the games, but since you're on... Um, I came up with a little quiz and this quiz, all right, Neil's gone. Um, this is a very easy quiz since we're going to, you're a political person. Um, senators, I'm just going to give you the senator's name. You tell me the state where they're from. I'll do my best. There you go. You should, I'm thinking you're going to crank these out. 15 questions. Here we go. So if ah. I said Chuck Schumer or Kristen Gill- Gillibrand, you'd say New York, right? Okay, so here right, we go. Here we go. So I just answer. I don't have to wait for Neil. I just nope. Answer, yep. And then you go to Neil. Yes. Okay, and we're going to bring him back, and we'll see if he can beat you the number you got. Let's do this. Okay. Susan Collins. Maine. Yep. Dianne Feinstein. California. Yes. Lindsey Graham. South Carolina. Ron Johnson. Wisconsin. Marsha Blackburn. Tennessee. Chuck Grassley. Uh, Iowa. Mike Lee. Uh, Utah. Richard Blumenthal. Connecticut. Josh Hawley. Missouri. James Langford. Oklahoma. Sheldon Whitehouse. Rhode Island. Jack Reed. Mm, Tough one. Maybe Indiana. Nope. Richard Burr. North Carolina. Richard Shelby. Alabama. And Jean Shaheen. New Hampshire. She's Lebanese. Nice. All right. Neil! All right. We'll see if Neil can beat it. That was quick, man. He's good. How many did I get? 14 out of 15. I does it one. I'm like, yeah. Okay, here's Neil's back. Put on the headphones. What is it? Okay, it's 14 out of 15. This is very simple, Neil. Arab comedy festival stuff? (laughs) (laughs) Nope, since we have a political guest on. Oh, shit. Um, Senators. I just give you the name. You tell me what state they're from. You've been watching all this crap, so if I said Chuck Schumer, you'd say New York. Senator Obidal. That would be New York. That sounds pretty nice, Dean. Yeah, why not? Chuck Schumer's getting old. By the time I Dean like gets it up and running, he'll be the it's center. Two years. There you go. We'll see what we can do. All right. So I'm just all I say, Chuck Schumer, you give me New York, right? That's yeah. you just gotta give me the state. Okay, here we go. Susan Collins. 
uh, Maine? Yep. Diane Feinstein. I'm sad that I know these, to be honest with exactly. you. Exactly. It's so depressing. So if you California, ask me pre-Trump, I'm gonna know, I would have got gonna, none. I know. I've been watching none. news 24-7 right. for like six months. Good. <laughs> California, Diane Feinstein. Yes, yes, 87 years old. Yeah, I know. 80 fucking seven. She plays the game. Jesus she Christ. She plays the game. They can't find anybody. Not that she's not <laughs> great. I mean, she was great. You know, this like. I feel like California she, can't find somebody. It's All like, right. what's his name in South Carolina? Lindsey Graham. South Carolina. There you go. Ron Johnson. Ron Wisconsin. Nice. Marsha Blackburn. God, it's so depressing. Tennessee. Yep. Chuck Grassley. Iowa. Whoa. Mike Lee. Uh oh, Mike Lee. He's a strange one. Uh Mike Lee. He's mm. like Utah. Ooh, nice <laughs> one. Richard Blumenthal. Uh he's a good one. He's a good guy. Uh, <laughs> he's like in a weird state, not Connecticut. Seventy-four but, uh, years old. I'm gonna go ahead and say Connecticut. Yes. <laughs> oh my god! Damn. Pull him out of his ass. All right, now they get harder. Josh, Dean, I've been watching TV like news for it's ridiculous. It's me too. It's, out of it's, control. it's annoying. I don't know shit until Josh Hawley. Oh, I don't even know that name, See? so I'm out. I'll just go one. Nebraska. Good guy, Missouri. Oh, that no one cares about. Missouri. All right, you guys are tight. You can't get any more wrong. You have to get the rest right. Okay. James Langford. Mm. That's mm. a tough one. Yeah, they get harder. Now I know this guy. He's kind of the he's a he's a bad one. Uh, James Langford. He's like in a he's like yeah he's in a weird like uh, not Arkansas but in something like that. I'll go oh. with I'll go oh. with. Uh, James Langford, Arkansas, Texas, Oklahoma. Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Sheldon Whitehouse. Sheldon Whitehouse. Are you sure that's not from like a TV show? Sheldon Whitehouse. <laughs> Sheldon Whitehouse is a real person? Yeah. Jesus Christ. <laughs> he's great. He's one. He's a really good oh, one. Oh, he's he, a good one? Yeah, yeah. Oh, shit. He's, he's a good questioner. He's one of my favorites. Oh, on, when shit. It's so funny. I only pay attention to the bad. I grew up in Texas, so I believe the bad guys. Uh, then that means he's from a good... So I'll go with Massachusetts. No. Shit. Oh, I'm sorry. Rhode oh, Island. Oh, close. close. It's the Very same close. thing. Here's a good one. Jack Reed. This is the trick question. Jack, Jack Reed. Jack Reed. Uh, uh, Nevada? No. Also Rhode Island. <laughs> Woo! That's right. Some of these guys are quiet and they just keep their jobs. Richard Burr. <laughs> Richard Burr, the show Hamilton? Yeah. Wasn't he on Hamilton? <laughs> yeah, he got shot. Aaron. Aaron Burr. Oh, that's right. Rich, was, is, he, is he related? Come on, you see this guy no. all the time. He's a Yahoo student. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I think, isn't that Alabama or Mississippi? Mm, close. North Carolina. Ah, shit. Richard Shelby. Oh God! Eighty-six years old. I thought old. he was gone. He's still there. Still there. Yep. Is he like Nebraska or something? No, no. He's like in that area. He's actually the better of the Alabama. Of Alabama. <laughs> Alabama. I knew it was something like that. <laughs> I get him mixed up with the football coach that just died, the Perkins guy. Yeah, Ray yeah. Perkins. And here, well, Tommy Tuberville is now going to be at Alabama. Oh, God, like, that's I can't. Worth. I. I just don't get this. It's really like his a sport, last one. Then. They're, they're just it like is. A, they're like that's their team. Gene Shaheen. Gene, uh, Gene, is that, is that Lebanese? Yeah, is that Michigan or no. Minnesota? Go ahead, give it to him, Dean. New, New York, Hampshire. New Hampshire. Oh, shit, sorry, Neil. She's also yeah, seventy-three years old. We got to get younger here. But the winner today, by the way, is yeah, Dean I was never Oidala. gonna win. That hurts. Thank you. I like this game. You like that, that hurts. Yeah. Break even? Well, <laughs> I mean, you apparently, you we would give you prizes, but you don't really like gifts. Apparently, yeah. This is uh, a, this is a year I like not giving. to give. Uh, yeah, that's I right. Like giving ass kicking uh, to Neil in this game. Maybe, that's what I like giving. <laughs> it, it hurt. It hurt. That hurt. That hurt. So sorry, Neil. Good try though. Damn All right. It. The way we end the show every week is w we do one good thing or one bad thing of the week. Something good that's happened to you, or and or something bad that's happened to you. You could be one or the other. Neil, you want to start? Yeah, this I'll off? start. Go I, ahead. I had a good thing, and uh, Dean, I don't know if you saw it, but I, you'll you'll see it after this. Uh, me and Bethel, I guess I want to thank Lenny for this. Mm. We had a, a, a national, a kiss on national television. <laughs> you did have a kiss and, on uh, national television. And it was a big moment for me because it was like a lot of people are comparing the kiss to like, uh, they're saying it's like a poor man's Titanic. <laughs> Hold on a second. <laughs> or Casablanca. Let me just set this up and, for the audience of wait, what happened. <laughs> on Supermarket Sweep, Les, a few people watched the show. Leslie 
tells the rules to the contestants when they're going to run the big sweep, and she runs into the back room and says, on your mark, get set, go. And sometimes Neil is doing a bit in there. And this particular one, Neil and Bethel are making out, and to Leslie's disgust and kicks them both out of the booth. So, But Neil did kiss ah. Bethel on national television. On national television, go ahead, I got a kiss. Congratulations. It was, There's nothing. Go, keep going. There's not, In my life, everything revolves around Trump right now. So the good <laughs> thing is that he keeps losing these lawsuits. And that's the good thing for me. I mean, on a personal level, I'm just, I am sequestered, quarantined in my life here. There's no TV. There's nothing, except for watching it, there's nothing much going on. I guess the only good thing personally would be the MSNBC becoming a columnist now for them. And the bad thing is my ankle is swollen. But besides that, I don't know what's going on. (laughs) Wait, can you just tell me, can you please tell me it's for sure he lost? I just can't take it. He's definitely lost. lost. He lost. Okay. He's lost, and I gotta be honest with you. I'm hoping <sighs> that he does not leave peacefully. I hope he resists, yeah. because my dream is the whole like, like a bouncer throwing a drunk into the street, <laughs> and then throw his luggage, <laughs> and then Milani's like, throwing her into the street. And I have an idea. You want to reduce the deficit? Have a, a national lottery that you can help throw Trump into the street if he doesn't leave January 20th. I would buy so many tickets for that. I mean, come on. So that's uh, he is gone January 20th. He's going to try to be president in exile, yeah. and for his base, he might be, but he'll have no power. That's right. what's beautiful about yeah. this. Hopefully, it will peter off. But, Neil, what did you say about the – what were you going to add about the no, kiss? No, that was it. I was just going to say it was like Casa people compared to Casablanca or uh, <laughs> like an avatar in a grocery store. I got that a lot. Like that, oh, that's, how, that's how substantial that kiss was. Nobody was disgusted online with you? Uh, I don't read online quotes. It's just too harsh for me. It's too... I'll you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. Just so you make sure. Please my, don't. My one good thing of the week is the New York football giants are back, oh, baby. yeah. Congratulations. Yeah, we've won, what are we, a four in a row? You and feel we... bad for bad-mouthing them all that time? Absolutely not. They were terrible. <laughs> and But you know what? I, did, I didn't bad-mouth the coach. I was like, I like this coach. Yeah, you stuck and, with uh, him, kind of. I think he's going to turn around. And uh, you know what? Build inside out. We got an O line that actually is like learning, and they're young, and they're getting yeah. better. And you know what? We're we're having a pretty easy. Are we that dangerous? I don't think we're that dangerous, but we are. They suck you in. They got you back. Well, they are competitive enough. Every game, literally every game this year, I think, has gone down under like five points, yeah. and it's just been down to the last. It's sweating and sweating and sweating. I love the Giants. But well, I'm a big giant. imagine if Saquon Barkley was playing this year after what? Uh, I get. You know what? I'm not that. Uh, everybody keeps saying that, but that's not my. You know, again, I, the three running backs that we have are doing a great job. It's the O line. If there's a hole. Neil can run through that hole. You know what I mean? He really could. It's get me, you know, give if I had another big wide receiver, if I had another, if I had a little more of a pass rush or one good corner, we might be really, really dangerous with or without Saquon Barkley. Um, the other good thing I have of the week, I think this vaccine thing coming out right now has given a little bit of hope. With the January 20th, Trump coming in and the vaccine starting to go out through England and da 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 I think... I, I'm trying to wrap my head around how I get through January, February, and I think the vaccine gives me a little hope to get to January 20th, and then seeing Trump leave will give me a little hope to get through to at least February, and then somehow I just have to make it through February, March, and get the weather warmer. I don't know what, how oh do I God. do February, March? I don't know, but I do have a little bit more hope Can't we than hibernate? I, I wish we could hibernate like a bear and just come out in like March. A little bit. Is that I possible? Just, I, I think, <laughs> that would be great. You know what it would be? Uh, if we would we, all do that. Everyone would go for that. If it could be just like... If the weather would be like they said, like February first to fifteenth, or first to first to seventh, it's going to be uh, like seventy-five. It's oh just a f- complete fluke. It's going to go right back on the on the February like eighth. It'll go right back to like thirty degrees. Yeah. But from one to seven, we're going to need this little tiny reprieve. I, I think we could all just we'll be able that to make it a spring. But that's you can get that, but you gotta fly. You gotta fly. Well, and that's, that's part of the problem. It's funny because on the way over here, I took a picture of the AMC theater, yeah. and it, it still has it's boarded up. It still no, it still has the sign from <laughs> March thirteenth, the eighty six. What was the movie? The movie was uh, My Spy, <laughs> right there. <laughs> it's still up. Who is that? Who's at the AMC, it? it's that guy, the the big guy, the action. The, they're trying to make him an action hero, but he can't quite hit Let one. Me see. He did the movie with. Uh, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He did the taxi cab movie. Uh, with not the, the Rock. It's like that guy. Oh, it's um. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just with such a great Kristen picture. Charles it's like it. time stood still. March thirteenth. 
<laughs> yeah, March 13th. When I got off stage, March, whatever that was, 15th Friday, I'm like, ah, it'll be a couple weeks. I'll be back at the cellar. Never touch the microphone again. Who uh, would have thought? Who, who would have thought? expected that in March when this all ended? That we'd no. be here now going, well, hopefully by March or really maybe April or May. I know, it's well, insane. They'll allow indoor comedy because New York's not going to let indoor comedy. No, no. for a I while. I keep thinking that, that the, the problem with comedy, obviously, you laugh and you exhale. So the, the f- comics with the least funny should get the most work. <laughs> you feel like, I'm not that funny, but I'm the safest comic. Now. <laughs> the good news. <laughs> I think the good news is with everybody locked in their house, I can get Dino Vidal as a guest. So thank yeah, you yeah, for yeah, coming that, that, in today. That is a positive. Chatting with you guys. Um, your website is www.deanofradio.com. Twitter is at Dean Obidala. Is Do you have an Instagram as well? At, I do. At Dean Obidala the same way. I, fantastic. I use, I use Twitter the most, and Facebook is Facebook Dean of Radio. And, and are the, you on TikTok too? you doing dances on TikTok too? I'm on the TikTok thing. <laughs> tell everybody when the radio show is on Sirius Channel 127. It's 6 to 9 p.m. Eastern Time, five nights a week. On Series Six and Progress Channel 127. I hope people will tune in. We do have some fun, believe me. But uh, you know, a lot of serious stuff as well about politics. All right. Really good guests from well, Congress to activists. Dean, come back. We yeah, I got a so million much, other Dean. questions. Thank you for doing this. Thanks, guys. Great and we'll see everybody Bye, next Dean. week. Bye. Four Corners Podcast was created, hosted, produced, and engineered by me, Lenny Marcus, executive producers Matt Kleinschmidt and Robert Kelly for the Laugh Button Podcast. <laughs>